Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Commentators have not been particularly kind to this parable from Matthew, a parable that is only found in Matthew's gospel. Some, find, some commentators find this, common, this uh, parable to be a bit too predictable and pat. Who's the better son? The one who says he will not go to do his father's bidding, but then changes his mind and goes, or the one who says he will go and then doesn't? Obviously, the first one. One commentator even called this parable colorless, and even used this quality of it to question whether Jesus could have actually said it, since most of Jesus's parables function to disquiet us and to upend our expectations, whereas this one seems to confirm what we already know, which can be summed up in all manner of handy aphorisms like talk is cheap, or actions speak louder than words, or the words attributed to St. Francis, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. And we know these, these statements, these aphorisms so well that it seem to sort of sum up what this parable is saying to us. Of course, it is important to be reminded, though, of the crucial importance of letting our words and our deeds match. This is a central concern of Matthew's throughout the gospel, and we hear it particularly sounded in the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus calls his hearers and calls us to the keeping of the law of Moses and also to the keeping of a new law, which calls us to an exacting righteousness in thought and word and deed. And toward the end of the sermon, Jesus warns, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And then he closes out the sermon by painting two pictures of the man who, the one he says, the one who hears my words and does them is like the man who built his house on a rock. And when the storms came, the house stood and did not get washed away. Then there's the one who heard the words of Jesus and did not do them, whose house is like built on sand and is washed away when the storms come. So you could think of today's parable as a sketch of how those closing words in the Sermon on the Mount play out. Because there's the one who says, Lord, Lord, I will do what you say, and doesn't do them. And then there's the one who, even though he's a bit surly at first, actually does the deed that God commands. So not only is this a concern of Matthew's throughout the gospel to be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. But it is, of course, always a good reminder to us because it's easy to let our words run out ahead of our deeds, especially in a place like VTS where we talk about God all day long. We say, and we pray three times a day, so we say all kinds of fine words of commitment to God's will and to God's work in the world, but then do we actually do them? Do we actually follow the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount? not judging another, being willing to forgive, refraining from anger, turning the other cheek, loving our enemies, not worrying about tomorrow, not storing up treasures on earth. I mean, this is a high bar that Jesus sets. And of course, we can look at this and say, how could our, our deeds actually match up to the words we say and the faith we proclaim? Because those are high, uh, that's a high call to us. Advent as a time of preparation, which in some formulations of it has a bit of a penitential tone, 
is a time when we can take stock and when we can call to look at our lives and to see whether our deeds and our words match, whether we are living our faith as well as studying it and preaching it. St. James, in his letter, and he is very concerned with works as well as with faith, says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And he offers a striking metaphor for the one who is only a hearer but not a doer. He says, that person is like someone who looks into a mirror and sees his reflection and then goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What, what he seems to be saying, James, is that those who are hearers of the word and not doers have a striking lack of self-knowledge. They forget what they look like. They forget who they are. They forget what they've committed themselves to. So if we want to align our words and our deeds more closely, the place to start is to cultivate self-knowledge, especially in this time of preparation, to cultivate practices of self-examination, to see whether our words and our lives match up. And that is all very worthy and true, but none of it is really about bringing color to this parable that somebody called colorless. The color comes from the place where the father invites the two sons to go. And it's significant that it's a vineyard. So it's not the salt mines, it's not the scorching desert, it's the vineyard. And as we know, the vineyard has a long and beautiful history threaded through all of Hebrew scripture because the vineyard is Israel itself. And in Isaiah, it's described as a place of refreshment and abundance and beauty. And in the Song of Solomon, it's described as a place of lovemaking. So when God calls us or calls these sons or calls us to go and work in the vineyard, it's not like a remote taskmaster ordering us around from afar, but as a lover might call us to this place of beauty. Now, every liturgical season in my mind has a certain kind of tone or feeling, and I would say the tone of Advent is one of yearning. It's the tone of longing, the longing for God to come again into our lives as the baby Jesus and as the one who will come again at the end to judge the living and the dead. So in Advent, we can hear this parable, not as a tidy, moralistic tale, but as showing God's deep longing for us to come to God, to come out to the vineyard and allow God to be with us. As Rowan Williams once said, instead of talking about the will of God, which suggests this kind of remote taskmaster, we ought to talk about the wanting to be of God in our lives the wanting to be of God in our lives. So when we feel the desire and the longing that qualifies this season of Advent, we can be reminded in a parable such as this that that longing is met and exceeded by God's longing for us, God's desire for us to come out to the vineyard and allow God to be with us in a whole new way. Of course, we can make all manner of excuses for refusing the invitation. Or we can say like the first son that we're going to go, the second son that we're going to go and then not go at all. But the parable, this parable, like all of Jesus's parables, is meant to wake us up, to wake us up to what we are missing if we refuse the invitation. And then to fill us with a desire not to delay any longer, 
but to say yes and to go, to go out to the vineyard, to claim a life of integrity where deeds and words match, a life in which we long so much to be with God that we allow God to bring us to that vineyard and to be with us in a whole new way, to fulfill the promise of Christmas, to be incarnate once again in our lives. Amen. <laughs>